I'll be honest, I'm still not quite sure what the film's about. We watched Spirited Away, and this is what we had to say. During her family's move to the suburbs, a sullen 10-year-old girl wanders into a world ruled by gods, witches and spirits, and where humans are changed into beasts. Here we go. Join us for Spirited Away. So, joining me this week is the dream team from the Princess Bride episode. We've got Sasha Reed, Joseph Boone and Greg Shackleton. And our guest this week, here to talk all about I'm your fairy fucking godmother. We've got Sola Bon and Mike Naroe. Welcome to the show, guys. Hello. Thanks Thank for having you so us. much. <laughs> so, you'll get to talk all about your projects later on in the episode, but first you've got to help us make sense. In fact, no, help me make sense of <laughs> That's all right. So, Joseph, yes. this, is your, this is your pick for the film club. So, Joseph, tell us why this film. I've got an interesting relationship with this film um, because I first watched it when I was, I think, seven. And I only watched the first 30 minutes of it because I was staying at my grandfather's and he was like, here's this animated film for you. You like cartoons? Here you go, sit and watch this. So I sit down and watch it. I get to the part where her parents are turned into pigs. I freak out. I run through it and be like, it's, it's horrible. I, I'm really scared. And just goes, ah, just watch something else then. And from that day forward, I have been terrified of Spirited Away. Completely terrified of this film. I've never seen any other Studio Ghibli film, uh, despite the fact I love animated films. Um, and when I watched it this week, it was almost like catharsis for me because I was terrified for the first half. Um, and I really chose this film because... My best friend is a massive Studio Ghibli fan and he's always saying to me, look, you really need to persevere and watch these films. And honestly, it paid off because it is now one of like one of the best films I've seen so far, I think. So I chose it as a little bit of therapy for myself, but also <laughs> because I knew deep down it was going to be a cracking film. All right. So we've all witnessed a breakthrough then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Like years of unresolved trauma. Un, un, years of unresolved fear. Yeah, years of unresolved fear that my parents one day will turn into pigs and I won't know how to save them. Congratulations. Just <laughs> yeah, well, we heal, we heal on this show. We heal together on this show. And this is, this is the way you're Sasha, was this a spirit special for you? Or... No. Oh, no. Okay. No. That's no. I think I'm in double digits for how many times I've seen this film. I love this movie. It's awesome. My big brother introduced it to us, like, I think when it first came out, because he's quite into animated films and um, anime and stuff like that as well. And um, he's like, oh, you guys will love this. And I was just like, this is fantastic. But it is scary, like, in parts, because you're like, oh, my God, that no face guy, what is he about? But then the more you watch it and through the years, you're just like, I'm freaking on board with him I kind of understand how he's feeling um, but no I, I think it's a fantastic film and I'm glad that everyone's watched it and we can chat about it today Greg what are your first thoughts uh, I, I think I, this is the first Studio Ghibli I, I, I ever saw actually when I was younger I think my art teacher 
was very much done with us all one day and just plopped it on. And yeah, we were, we were enraptured by it and it's certainly stuck with me. So very happy to have a chance to rewatch it again with my grown up eyes. Tallulah, welcome, welcome. So I, I understand this is a, a 10 times or more watching for you as well, this film. So tell us your thoughts on Spirited Away. Yeah, I mean, weirdly similar to weirdly similar to Joseph, actually. I watched it um, at my godmother's house when I was about similar age. Watched the whole thing, but one of those watching the whole things where you're glued to it and you're so blatantly terrified of it that you can't stop watching. Um, and then from then on, you know, nightmares ensued, lots of pigs in the dreams, all that kind of stuff. But then... Um, I, I have then my um, recently why I actually thought it would be a great a great one too, which is why I wanted to come on this one, is because I've recently got into anime again, and um, specifically Studio Ghibli as well because my boyfriend of about a year now was is very very into also Japanese culture, and I kind of I have I had this because of Spirited Away where I had a kind of vendetta not against it but I was quite scared of it actually the animation and I don't know the kind of feeling behind it. But I watched it with him recently and it just, it was just absolutely outstanding. Like I remember thinking, why do I feel nostalgic when this isn't like a nostalgic thing for me? Like it's so, I, there's so many parts of it. And I was watching those, me and Mike were watching those like, you know, video essays on YouTube and stuff like that, which is so interesting because there's so much spirituality behind it. And I think I'm really interested in that as well. And the whole, the whole look, it makes me feel like warm and then, I watched Princess Mononoke and um, My Neighbor Totoro as well, which is just the sweetest film. Um, and I think from then on, I think I, I want to explore that more and kind of understand it more as well. It's very interesting. Yeah. yeah. Mike, how about you? Um, mine's a bit, mine's like Joseph, and you're going to have to bear with me because you mostly probably won't like to hear this, but I hated Spirited Away. When I first saw it when I was a kid, uh, it came on randomly. And I remember it because I was just like, oh, this is animation. It's great. Let me watch this. And I think I got through maybe 15 or 20 minutes. And then I was like, no, it's not for me. I'm going to go over to film four and watch something else. And then I think I just found out what Studio Ghibli was quite recently, actually. I had no idea who they were until I think like a few months ago. And then someone told me about the film and said, you have to watch that film. And another film I really like, this thing is called Tales of Earthsea or something like that. I found out they did that and I was like, oh, I love that film. So let me go try Spirited Away again. And I went to watch it again and I was like, yeah, it actually is a great film. You know, I was yeah. wrong. I was wrong. My 11 or whatever year old mind was not ready <laughs> at that point <laughs> to appreciate it. So no, I really liked it. I've only seen it twice. Um, I will be honest to say I really didn't get it, but I liked, I think, just how it made me feel. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'd say for, yeah, that's mm. where it away for me. Mm. So my, my first thoughts, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I'm, I'm the odd one out here because this is, this, is a, this is a spirit special for me in the truest possible sense because it's not only is this the first time I've ever seen this film, it is also, I think, the first time I've ever seen a film of this genre, I think, as well. This is totally, totally blind for me, this one. I went in totally blind. And I deliberately didn't watch or anything about it or read anything about it before. I just wanted to just see what, see what it was like. 
It's definitely the strangest film I've, I think I've ever watched, for, for sure. It's been it's been two days, I think, since I watched it, and I still don't know if I liked it. I'm sorry to, to everyone in the panel. I still don't know if I liked it. That being said, don't at me on Twitter. Don't cancel me on Twitter, guys. It's just that... It's just that... <laughs> it's uh, on traffic. Come on. I didn't... I didn't... Uh, I didn't dislike the film. That's off the table for sure. I can appreciate the fact that it's a good film. I understand it's a good film. I can see why it's a good film. I can see why people like it. I think it's just purely an individual taste thing for me, for sure. If Joseph hadn't suggested this film, I don't think I ever would have watched it, if you see what I mean. So it's not that I think it's a bad film. I think it's a really good film. It's just that it's not yeah. my thing. I, 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 you know, not, not my taste, you see. But I think... Possibly, I'm coming at this as the first time viewer here. I think it's one of those films where the more you watch it, the more you would appreciate it and the more you kind of get into it, I, I would say. I think I definitely, I mean, when I was watching it, it was a case of what the hell am I watching? But then when I actually sat down afterwards, actually thought about it and started preparing for the episode and started you know, reading about, you know, about the themes and stuff online, that's when I started to appreciate from a little bit more. So I think, I think it's one of those films that you should give a chance to like like Mike, what you've done, you've you've gone back and watched it again later on in life, and you and you thought actually, you know what, it is a decent film. And similar to everyone else in that sense as well, I suppose. So I think it's one of those films that you should really just maybe try and try again, try and watch more than once to get into and kind of work out what it's all about. So it's a very it's a very abstract concept, I would say this this film. I think the only way to really break down the film is through its themes, because there's quite a lot of themes in the film, and they're, they're very they're very interesting themes as well. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna around the room and just kind of ask what everyone's the main theme, the, the, the one theme that really stuck out in them, and there's a few, so the one thing that really stuck out in your mind when you were watching, I'll start with Joseph again, because Joseph, as I said, this is your pick. So, Joseph, what was the main theme that stuck out for you? For me, it was like, it's it was weird picking this up from an animated film, but like kind of good and evil. Because like, you do get a lot of animated films that are aimed at younger audiences that have a very, you know, black and white, viewpoint of good and evil like you know you're following the good guy he must beat the bad guy that's that's the story but the way sort of studio ghibli films are they are you know they're animated but they're not aimed at a specific audience so they can explore different themes in a more nuanced way and for me like i picked up the whole there isn't a character in the film that is wholly evil there isn't a character in the film that's wholly good they're just characters being just real and genuine and using like their actions to influence each other like when we first are introduced to no face the the um the quote-unquote like villain almost of the film a little bit like this character's coming in he's just wanting to be understood but we're seeing him come in offer gold eat people and we think ah he's evil but no it's like um the main character's actions also kind of show that he can be good as well the action she does as well, the main character, how she, um, you know, uh, is quite indecisive and not really doing stuff for herself and just kind of going with it. That's kind of like these bad character aspects that change over time. It's like, it's not really, not really necessarily a, a theme of good and evil. It's about sort of how everyone is their own sort of macrocosm of emotion and motives and there's not nothing inherently good or evil about any character mm. i think that's kind of what i got from the film mm. i also got from the film that studio Ghibli animates food so well oh, yes. i was watching that <laughs> film with my stomach rumbling 
I think that is that you're right. That is a real strength of the film. That was certainly one thing I really picked up on was this whole, you know, the light and shade of every character. Because I think when you've got a film that's quite high concept, you have to ground it in something. And I feel like the film grounded it in their characters. Mm-hmm. While none of the characters are human, apart from obviously Chihiro, the main the main character, we see human qualities in every character. We see this light and shade because every person has light and shade to them. I think that's a real strength of the film that you are watching this and you can empathise with the characters despite them not being human, for example. You can still empathise with the characters and you can watch their journey and connect with them because they have both light and dark to them. And also, it's, it's boring to have... I, mean, I, I don't like films where it's obvious who the bad guy and the good guys are and it's very you know separate and right, we should like this person, we should hate this person. I think it's good when you show that human quality that... You know that you know everyone's got a bit of both in them, and, you, and you've got to portray that on the screen because that's the way life is. And I think, yeah, definitely when you're doing an animated film as well, you've got to ground it somehow, especially when it's like this. And that's, I think, that's the way the, the film did it. Did anyone else notice that good and evil thing? Any any part of the film in particular where you notice the the good and evil uh, aspect? I would argue that consumer capitalism is the real villain here, um, <laughs> which sort of segues into my little theme i guess of just um overconsumption in general and uh being able to strike a balance between that uh, between between the two because we literally have transforming pigs which are like the capitalist poster boy animal essentially and then you have no face who just can't stop eating until a sweet little girl tells him no and everyone's going apeshit when he's um, conjuring gold out of thin air. Like, none of it's substantial. It's just more to take. And I had something else, and then it left my head. Uh- <laughs> I think that goes, I think that off your point, I think that goes into uh, the environmentalist one as well. I don't think that's the main theme, but it, a lot of his films also touch on this as well. And the uh, the the um where well, wasn't the mud monster in the end? It was the river monster, the spirit. The river spirit, that yeah. Is, that is so he's so clogged with with uh crap and um bikes and you know crap in the river and everything like that. And I think that definitely, I think greed is such a big thing. I think that's that's a definite thing, and that mm-hmm. that ties into how we treat the world as as humans and as you know capitalists and everything like that. <laughs> um, and how you just kind of ruin things by our things if that makes sense yeah definitely yeah Miyazaki said he actually he goes to clean rivers and just anywhere he can like on his days off I think he's only got a Sunday off yeah actually they actually pulled a bike out of the river so that's why he was like we're gonna put this into the film Um, like so I thought it was quite interesting it's also like that that whole sort of like cleaning the river the environmentalist but also that whole greed and cleaning up and trying to leave the world a better place than you found it was also sort of like i thought that was reflected in like the what the um what the river spirit gives Jihiro. yeah the wee dumpling yeah i can't remember it, it's got a specific name because it is this remedy mm. in um older japanese culture that you give it to people to be sick to expel whatever you've eaten to make you ill so like when when she makes um haku eat it to get rid of whatever curses on him. Like that's something that they would do. And according to what I read on the internet, it might not be true. I don't know. I hope it's true because it kind of mirrors the whole, the um, cleaning up the, the river spirit as well. And I think it's also 
it's not just about getting rid of like the whole sort of how we're destroying stuff with capitalism. It's also like how we're sort of destroying ourselves with it. But it also it also acknowledges that like some of the damage is already it's already been done, and accepting that is also part of what we have to consider. Because I think what is it when they're when they're falling through the sky at the end, and it's like. Um, uh, like when she realizes the haku is a river spirit and he's like, uh, yeah, I couldn't find my way back, back to my home. And went, oh yeah, it's, it's apartment blocks now. And he was like, oh, it's okay. Cause I remembered my name at the very least. Like none of that's resolved. It's just, he's still, his home is still apartment blocks, but at least he's okay with it as they fall yeah. through space into the ocean. <laughs> yeah. Did anyone else pick up on the fact as well that I think it's like when the, with the, the cattle's and, aspect of it is also picking from the fact that this was I think the, I think what the guy's trying to say is it's this sort of thing's coming towards Japan at this particular time and the, the commercialization of the West coming across and kind of taking away from traditional Japanese culture is that something that anyone else picked up on as well oh, yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. <laughs> it's especially with like the the comment that her dad makes about what the building is when yeah. they go through the tunnel saying it's an old abandoned uh, amusement park because that was quite frequent in like the like the early two thousands of finding these abandoned amusement parks because they were built to make like a quick buck and then just kind of deteriorated and they were just sort of left. And Which also does mirror the whole capitalist theme mm. of the film for sure. Well, there's, there's all those um, shrines dotted about the place on their way in that have mm. sort of been just cast aside, uh, but they're still there and just remembering that they were. Remembering where they were at one point in time, but just I'm losing myself in this already. Like, I feel like this, this movie is perfect for long, pensive silences out the window and beard stroking. Jesus. Um, yeah, no, I, I know what Greg's trying to say. It's like it's one of the first sort of like things we're pointed to in the film because Chisha asks what they are, and her mum quite flippantly sort of says, Are they just things that people used to worship spirits to? And it's just kind of a little castaway thing, which kind of like that's sort of the, when we see a lot of these in films about capitalism taking over and that, that is the thing that's affected the most, like traditions and beliefs and especially in um, films about where the West has taken over. Um, that is, that's quite a big thing, but it's not, it wasn't sort of like forced down your throat. It was quite a, a castaway little thing. And I thought it had a nice little nuance to it. Which foreshadowed the rest of the film with, you know, the it, what um, Tolu was saying about the the river spirit being cleansed as well. It's nice. Everything sort of just links together really nicely in the film. I think also going from the when the parents drive in in their car. I always remember even seeing it once when I was younger. That distinct difference between uh, sort of the human world and the spirit world. Because even though the spirit world is in our time still, it seems almost timeless and like stuck in that kind of, you know, maybe pre-war Japan kind of era. And then when they're driving up in the car and when they're driving back as well, they all have, you know, the shirts on, you can see the, like, the villages. It's very modern. And then, like, going into the spirit world, it does seem, it, I know it's otherworldly, obviously, but it seems like it seems in the past as well, even though it's not. Um, yeah, yeah, there must be some kind of influence there on the kind of Western going in, going back in time almost. Mm. Mm. I, I don't know whether he was saying that's a bad thing or not. I'm not sure. 
Hmm. Kind of like going back is simpler. Like it's a simpler time just to go back and it'd be nice if we could so we can kind of dream about that every now and then. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that's the main thing for me is the whole idea of going back is what I got from the film. There's like a nice nostalgic aspect to it. Um, yeah. I mean, what I, what I think the bit that got me when I finished watching the film and I was like, oh, actually, I feel something now is when she leaves the spirit world and you're like, that's it. She's never going to go back there again. She's never going to live and inhabit that world. And she says goodbye to it. And like, I think there's so many times, especially when you're a kid, where you have like some kind of experience. Like maybe it's you go on a family holiday that's just a little bit different from the rest. And you, you remember it and you're like, I'm never going to do that again, but it's going to stay with me. It's going to be a memory that I'm going to keep revisiting and sometimes wish I was still there and I could still be in that time and place. And I think that I got that a lot from watching Spirited Away, especially when she leaves. And I'm like, oh, maybe but she's when, okay. Because <laughs> when, I, when I saw it the first time, I, I thought that it was like a dream or like she had kind of been there and it was sort of in her head almost and she'd gone yeah. on that journey. But now watching it again, or the many times I've watched it recently in the past year, there's like been so many clues that it is real. Like there's the hairband in her hair or something like that. Yeah. And then there's, um, what are the other ones that is, it, I can't remember. Oh yeah, the, the car that's got like uh, leaves on it and dust and there's those mm -hmm. details. And you're like, wait, that is real. And then I think that's what comes out of the culture, like the Japanese culture and beliefs that, you know, spirits do live among us and that's, you know, that's something that has to be respected and journeys to go on through that, but it's it's real or it can be real. Yeah, just uh, just jump on the back of what, uh, what uh, Mike said. Do we think it could also be that it's mirroring her own personal thing that she's trying to overcome at the very start of the film, which is that I'm moving to a new yeah. place, I'm leaving oh, yeah. my place, <laughs> all that, uh, my previous life back in that place, all my friends and all these things, and she's having to come to with the fact that she's having to then yeah. move on towards this new adventure yeah. that's part of her life. Yeah. Well, yeah. So it's like growing up. Like, Go on. Sorry, no. It's like, because um, she works, doesn't she? She, like, she gets a job. She's like fully <laughs> responsible for once in her. I mean, I don't know if she's been responsible before, but it seems like she's been given a lot of adult responsibility in this world that she hadn't had until that point. And maybe it's like a process of just coming of age really quickly with someone not being there to have that safety net for you with her parents gone she's having to just be like okay so this is the adult world then and i have to get used to that pretty quickly i feel like it's how you come out of university you know you're like oh no <laughs> they tell oh, the world no. from underneath you yeah. oh no <laughs> i feel like that's what she has like get a job he's like get a job you're not going to survive here without a job and i feel like like, Wish someone told like, me that. I get job. But you'll disappear. Do you, do you reckon she went and went, went on to find work in the creative industry, or did uh, <laughs> yeah. I think she's bartending. I think she's kind of office. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely a bartender. Hey, <laughs> Robert ass. I respect that. Yeah. yeah so, I, no, 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 go for it, Joseph, go for it. I was, I was just going to like agree with what Michael was saying about how it, it essentially is a coming-of-age film, but not in like your classic, you know, we've only got eight days till prom and I've got to ask Stacey out. 
<laughs> sort of way. It's 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 a very true to life coming of age film, which is sad because that's what coming of age is, really. Mm. At least for me, because I'm a sad bastard and I like <laughs> melancholy and things like that, which is why I really enjoyed this film because it was a really sad film when you yeah. look at it. Um, it. It's it's just like a perfect coming of age film, and it does really reflect that, especially with what you were saying, Michael, about you know she's she gets into this world and immediately she's told you need to get a job, otherwise you disappear. <laughs> Yeah. And we, yeah, we've all felt that. Yeah, and it's it's really just that hard hitting thing, and it is. I think that's why it's got that really good nostalgia factor because she's just a kid, and you're remembering when you're a kid, and you really empathise with how she feels and how everything is this, especially in the art style, the way that they do it, how everything is big and bright and brash. There's and the I could I could talk for hours about the foley and the sound design of it as well. And everything is just in your face when yeah. the spirit world starts to kick in. And that's kind of how it feels coming into the, the real world, the adult world sort of thing. At least that, that's, that's what I got from it. Yeah. Well, yeah, that, that's the theme I noticed. It was like growth, like all the characters in some way grow differently. But Chihiro kind of had to do it much quicker because she used to be this wee brat who is like always got her mom. She's like clinging on her mom. And then her parents turn into pigs and now she's in charge of actually trying to, ha she has to get them back. So she has to grow very quickly. And um, I think that's definitely part of a coming of age. Well, not that we have to look after our parents, but eventually maybe one day. Um, so yeah, I thought, that was, I thought that was very, very important. And I thought it was quite cool how they did it, but it was also quite scary because you're like, whoa, it's not like just, okay, I'm going to slowly maybe get a house and save up. It's, I need to actually stop my parents from turning into food. <laughs> yeah. It was a simpler time in the early 2000s. Uh, <laughs> which I think uh, you can tie into this as well. Like early 2000s, like a lot of Pixar films were starting to like pick up a lot of traction. It was all computers. It was all animated. And then you've got Miyazaki wandering in going, no, hand-drawn. And we're going to do every little piece as methodically and carefully and artistically as possible and it's going to kick ass did everyone see the pixar reference in it yes because there's the there's the bit where um she's going to the other witch's house i can't remember the other witch's name yeah um yeah, there's the lamp that guides them. It's this little really? um, lantern yeah. that's popping yeah. along. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 basically a reference to Pixar because Pixar helped sort of make the film what it is. Oh right, money wise. I did wonder. Yeah, so I thought it, but I didn't. I thought it was. I didn't think anything else of it. Mm. Which it is, just reminded me of it. It's like yeah. it's Grandpa, <laughs> like the Pixar lamp's Grandpa. <laughs> Oh, well, it's super obvious now that you've said it, so I feel a little silly, but oh. <laughs> How sweet. <clears throat> oh, man, well, alive. actually, John, is it John Lasseter that used to be head of Pixar? Yeah, he John Lasseter. that any time they had an issue, like when they were making a film, and they were like, well, we're not sure where we're going to go. They always used to put on a Ghibli film to kind of like inspire them. And then yeah. it always helped. So. Well, those two companies were quite tight, weren't they? Like at some point, because they, they, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think I heard recently that they create, created the animation category for the, for an Osc Oscars or something like that, that those yeah. two companies like actually made it a thing. I, I, I heard, but it's funny because they work, they work so differently. 
and you'd think that they'd kind of be these funky enemies but they I think they work together at some point as well I can't remember but it's a really good influ- influence to have I think on both of them and I think you wouldn't have one without the other the other way around how appropriate for the film it's a bit of this it's a bit of that it's balance it's <laughs> no one way or the other art reflects life art <laughs> The the only other theme I picked up on as well, which I quite enjoyed, was the power of words and the power of uh, power of uh, names and your identity. Uh, yeah, 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 and ha- how you know how, how you're so linked to to your identity. And obviously, we're talking about growth and all these things, but I I, I felt like Chihiro was actually having to earn her name back, as it were. So she it was her identity was stripped away from her, and she goes through the film having all this growth, and she's essentially got to you know live her life as sin, work her way through this this world and essentially earn back Chihiro and say this is who I am now. This is who Chihiro is now. So I think I think it's a very very interesting theme. Did anyone else pick up on the fact that you know yeah. power of power of words, etc. And then her, and because she becomes a number, because Sen is a thousand, so she becomes a number instead of mm-hmm. even a tiny bit of which I found really I didn't obviously know that but they, to find that out I was like oh that makes so, it makes so much sense within the context of the film within the context of you know life and what you do become and what yeah it's really interesting <laughs> oh, and n- names of course like I mean in particular I mean it's, it's more of a western idea but like uh, the heritage and ancestry of like a second name as well uh, that goes back however many generations and such. I'm assuming there's some kind of uh, Japanese equivalent that I'm not quite seeing. Uh, but yeah, but, I mean, the, the fact that um, uh, Haku, uh, Haku is he's in prison because he can't remember his full name, like, there's a metaphor in there somewhere. And I can't quite say it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's kind of like if you forget your name, it's like... Who am I? If I don't know my name, who, who yeah. am I? Like, I mean, we're asking all the, all the important questions today. Who am I? <laughs> I am not a number. This is getting deep, That's guys. what wanted. From <laughs> 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 the arts. It's all here. <laughs> a lot for Thursday morning, I tell you. It definitely is. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Right. I think we're going to take a quick break. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll talk more about Spirit of Dwayne. And we will also play some games. See you soon. Of course. Welcome back to part two. We're talking all about Spirited Away. So let's have a first game, shall we? Now, part of this film is about forgetting your identity, forgetting your name. So we've taken away Greg Shackleton's ability to remember names. Let's see if we can help them in the game we're calling. Do you, do you know the one? Yes, magic took away the name, and not, and not, and not just me. So, um, five questions. Uh, buzz in, I guess, with your hands or loud noises. I'm good for either. Um, I'll give you an example question, just so you know the kind of tone that we're working with here. So, uh, do you know the one, uh, that young lad from uh, Brooklyn, uh, likes his red and blue spandex, bit of a swinger? Spider-Man! There we go! Right, okay. I'm going to get too excited for this! (laughs) 
Oh, I can already tell who we are. Oh, God. Okay. My last, my first and last segment on this show. Um, okay, spirited away, bearing all that in mind. What do I want to go with first? Um, okay, we'll start. We'll start simple. Who is? You know the one who is the overworked single mother who don't need no man to raise a giant baby. The baba. There we go. That's Sasha's. Oh, I thought we were doing different films. <laughs> no, 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 okay, no, no, yeah, Sandra's not going to pick up on this. Okay, right. There are like there's like ten named characters, so I had to I had to go further. I had to go further afield. Um, let me see. Let me see. Okay, uh, do you know the one who uh, is best described as Granddaddy Longlegs? Imagine. Jesus, Sasha. I'm sorry. <laughs> Twenty times. <laughs> hey, I'll just be quiet. The next one. <laughs> can, I, can I reply? Can I reply? Oh yeah, yeah. Is that one with the long legs who works in the boiler? I mean, it's, it's, it's a game of names. Can I reply like that? <laughs> That's essentially what I'm doing, but sure. <laughs> number two, okay, yeah. number three, even because everything's going out the window right now. Um, okay. Do you know the one who is the first half of the famous song by internationally renowned double act Timon and Pumba? Oh my god, how obscure! Haku! There we go. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> I think Craig got that one. That's a point to Craig. We've been polite. No. <laughs> I had to reach for that one, if I'm honest. Um, number four, I believe is a fine... No, no, number four, sorry. Who is the final form of a very hangry Nick Cage once he's oh, finally oh. taken his face off. Me. No Further. face. There we go. Oh. Right. <laughs> Who has what? Because I have one tiebreaker that's kind of all right. Sasha's got two. I've got one. Tula's got one. Okay, whoever gets this wins the game. Because it's, it's my game. <laughs> Okay. If I can read my own handwriting. Um, ba, 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 ba. Who is the secret Disney princess? Can you? Lynn? Yes. Uh, Why? Uh, <laughs> well done. Good one. L- um, because? because. Uh, Lynn is the secret Disney princess because recently Hamilton came out on Disney Plus, meaning that Lynn Manuel Miranda is actually a Disney princess. I mean, I mean that isn't it, but I'm going to give it you anyway. That was such a roundabout. <laughs> right? wow. That's, that's no, so impressive, actually. The the English dub. Uh, it's uh, Susan. Yes, Lady that's Boys it. from Hercules. Oh, oh. yeah, I thought I read Lady Boys. Yeah. No, 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 it's Lynn Manuel Miranda now. Thank you, Joseph. <laughs> Wait, oh, right. that, is that one of your uh, fun facts for later, Joseph? Is that one of your uh, things for later for you? Uh, yeah, that Lynn Manuel Miranda's a, a Disney princess. Uh, did everyone what what dub did everyone watch it in? Did people watch it in English or Japanese? Japanese, English, English. I watched it on Netflix. So I Probably should have prefaced that, shouldn't I? English dub or oh, well. yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, because I, I watched it in the Japanese, but when I was like trying to research for the, my game, it turns out the um, voice actor who voiced Chihiro also voices Lilo in Lilo and Stitch. Mm. Because they were created like the same sort of time. Cool. Same sort of reality child. Mm. Cool. Right then, so uh, let's carry on with the discussion before we play Joseph's game. So, one thing I noticed, and Joseph, you were you were actually alluding to it earlier. You said that you could talk for days about it. So let, let's let's why not? Why let's do it? So, one thing I noticed, I think any good animated film has the the look and feel of a live action. So the thing the thing I was like the way it's shot, the sound design, all these things. The way I, I the thing I could link it to the most in my brain with my limited knowledge of this genre was Big Hero Six, which was which was, I, I love that film because it. It looks and feels like a live action film, just from the like they, they use certain like almost like camera tricks with how, how they shoot it to make it feel immersive and make it feel like you're actually there for real. So, Joseph, seeing as, as you as you brought up the start, what what is it essentially about the the way the film looks, the way the film sounds that really resonated with you? So, it's it's a bit of a backward way, but when I watched it, I thought of the um, twenty eighteen game Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wilds because there is no there's little to no sound music wise in that game unless you're in a inhabited area. A lot of the sound design is really quiet and minimalist and almost invisible. Um, and the only tiny little bits of music you get are little wee motifs on piano or on viola. And that is what had what what was in a lot of this film there was very little music until there was action, um, which I thought was brilliant because it made it feel like real life. Because, you know, when, when you're walking around and, you know, there, there is no music. There's just all the sounds that are happening. And even, even like the Foley that was created, it sounded incredibly realistic. It didn't sound overproduced. When she was running down the wooden staircase, it just sounded like she was, it sounded like you were there as opposed to, you're going, oh, that, because when I watch films, because I'm really interested in Foley, I kind of do notice when it sounds a little bit more overproduced. Um, but even just like the the sounds of the the slime sort of coming off like the stink spirit and um, the the way that the, the food is clattering on the plate as well, it doesn't sound too much. It's not overpowering. It's really subtle and nuanced, which just reflects the entire film. Um but funnily enough, going back to the original point, the invisible sound design of it all, Studio Ghibli inspired that Zelda game to sound very subtle and very quiet. So it's kind of a nice little, another circular answer from me. Um, but I think that that's what makes this film really, really nostalgic for me, even though I've only seen it once, because it's quiet. Because you don't really it really makes you focus on how you're feeling as opposed to what everything has just been thrown at you, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No, I think it does. Because it's like, it's natural. It's just what we kind of do every day and we feel like we can take it in easier than having it being jarring. You're just like, ah, I can I can get on board with this. I can feel this. So I, I get that. It's, it was probably a very conscious artistic choice as well to have such normal sounds in an otherwise very alien spiritual world. Circles again. It really just grounds it. I think, I think, that's, what, um, I think that's what Miyazaki does a lot. He just tries to find that realism 
yeah. in, in yeah. these sort of otherworldly things that he's creating. And it's these little these little moments as well that you you see a lot in in Miyazaki films. Even though I haven't watched any other ones, I've seen little clips and stuff. Um, especially because my partner is a massive foodie. Um, she will like try and make things that have been in um, films and that. And there's so many scenes in Miyazaki films where there's food. And it's even just simple little things like like little rice balls or dumplings that they make that look incredibly delicious. And it's because mm. of the sound that's coming from them as they're picking them up, as they're eating. It just you you just want to be there. You just want to like, you know, reverse ring girl and like climb into the TV and <laughs> like just join in. What about the food? Damn it. <laughs> I'll stop talking about the sound so someone else can chip in. <laughs> in, in, in um, like within what you just said is so interesting about the sounds and the and the quietness of it and the like serenity. I think which uh when I was a kid I didn't like the train, you know, the train scene um mm. kind of nearish the end. Because it, you know, nothing happens and it's quite eerie because nothing happens. And it's it's like you're waiting for something because we're so trained, especially like being Western, you're so trained to things to happen like one after the other in this kind of domino effect like series and it just doesn't doesn't let go. And then you've got this train sequence where like I think like one thing is said in a few minutes and which is like crazy, especially for an animated film. And it's just that I just remember the um, train on the water and it's just this kind of gentle, I think it's just a piano piece on it over it and just thinking like it feels so realistic unlike a lot of maybe other animated films where it's sort of one thing after the other but you know when you're on a train you just some, sometimes kind of sit and stare out the window for a bit and it just seems like the characters are like having a chill like having a fag break just like not not really like just letting what's happened wash over them like literally with the water outside which I think people can relate to as well and I think that <clears throat> isn't seen very often and I think maybe that's what makes it feel nostalgic, even though, you know, uh, Joe, Joseph, you were saying you haven't seen it, like you've only seen it once, but it makes you feel nostalgic and you don't really know yeah. why. And maybe that has something to do with it, the, the quietness and the kind of reflection almost. There's a, there's a name for those sort of scenes. I cannot remember what it is. It's a really short word. It's something like ma. Ma, Emma. Is, is that what it is? Yeah, because it's like these little yeah. extra scenes that wouldn't appear in like a, a different kind of film oh. that just sets that nuance and that ambience. Mm. And for me, especially that train scene, I was getting massive hits of like wanderlust just mm. watching that. <laughs> it just makes me want to just like, you know, if the world wasn't the way it was, just get on a train and just go to the end of the line. That's yeah. like scenes like that make me feel like that it's like yeah and then it goes one way as well mm, i think there's yeah. such a like another theme that i that oh, stands out hugely is journey but not mm -hmm. like a kind of action journey it's more of a it is more of a spiritual journey and we talked about it before with the with our um protagonist who has this journey but she discovers stuff from inside herself that she she becomes brave which you sort of don't see at the beginning she's cowering behind a mom that you were saying um and uh, yeah, and the train goes one way, and you're like, "Well, that's so interesting." And everyone kind of likes trains. Mm. Everyone likes trains for some reason. I think that's such a motif. Yeah, and it's, and it's like, sorry, go on. <laughs> you're just going to say symbolic for life itself as well, because it goes one way. You can't go back. You've got to just keep wow. going forward. Yeah. But if I can be very film critic about, about the whole thing, 
No, no, I was agreeing. Like it's just the train's going one way and life is only one way. So it's nice to just constantly keep going forward. Mm. Like so that's what she's doing. She's just going forward. And also she kind of does become a wee bit motherly because she's looking after the wee wee mouse and the wee bird. And and essentially no face, because she's the one that actually brings him out of the craziness and she's looking after him as well. So yeah. And it's, I think it's rather telling that the, the most uh, peaceful uh, moment in the entire film is sort of this mel- uh, this mishmash of uh, weird spiritual um, otherworldly imagery and like the, like the symbol of like the post-industrial age of like mechanization and this train is the two of those things just smushed together of this train just going across the water where we're allowed to have a moment and a breath and just wash ourselves away from all that madness that we've just been enduring for the past hour and a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm, definitely. What I don't get on that train thing is, you guys might know, is the neon signs that go past. I remember that distinctly. I don't, I actually don't understand that. And it was really interesting. And maybe that is the kind of showing this um, uh, influence and like Western influence and kind of materialistic things like these neon signs, almost like strip club signs or like fast food signs. But I, I, it was so, it was so weird to see that on the train, like outside the window, and I just, I, I guess maybe it's that, but I just wondered what, what that, what that sort of was all about. I just thought it was like just reflecting the journey and how, how long she'd been travelling. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think it reminded me of because I, I studied in Lancaster, which is in North England. And I have to take a train from London all the way up there. And it would be long. It would be a long train. But I used to always enjoy the train. But there would be these weird signs along the way. And you basically, you have two routes to get to Lancaster. You can go on the West Coast or you can go along the East Coast. And the East Coast was always a little bit more grotty than the West Coast. <laughs> And it took longer as well. So I was like, oh, shit, it's the West, the East Coast today. So anyway, on that East Coast, there's loads of signs. And one of them, there was this building. And it said, um, it said something like, repent, God is watching, or something like really strange, just in this like big black font and written there. And you would see that sign and then it would go and it would go. And then there would be a bit of graffiti and you'd see that sign and it's like like people have because you're just passing through you're like an interloper almost you're not staying there you're in a transitory space but there's a whole life and a whole existence happening there that you're just going past and you're and it's like these other worlds that you could enter if you got off the train and if you went and you like experienced them but you'd never actually live that experience you're only going to pass through and see it and it reminded me when those signs came up and all those little things she would see along the way it'd be like she could get off and experience that world as well this thing in between but she's going somewhere and she's not going to come off that course mm-hmm. but yeah that's you, amazing thing about actually, you mentioned yeah it. just saying that michael like you could totally say that it was like it's an opportunity for her to just give into that I want to explore, but now that she's got a purpose, now that she's got a task to do, to visit yeah. the spot, which she's staying focused. Exactly. So it could be something like that, definitely. Oh, it makes me feel sad. I just don't know why. Like, it's just how it's made. It just, when you think of that scene, it just, I don't know, it just makes you feel like either cosy or sad, and I'm not sure what that is. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like that. It's kind of like a oh, this is beautiful, and I don't know if I want to like greet or yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. All right, it's just I don't know. It's it's very relaxing, but also like I don't know where we're going. What did we think of? Um, oh, we never saw anyone's faces on the train. We didn't see the conductor. All the other passengers were in shadow. There was people wearing very clearly very modern-looking clothes, even though they were see-through with hats and overcoats. And they were, and they were humans as well. Yeah, it was like human yeah. shape at the very least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like that's like you're kind of just in your own space, and there's all these people around you, but you you you, you don't recognise them or you don't look at them. So it's kind of right. like he kind of done that in a way. Very it's topical like, this year. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> Something like that. Mm. Do you guys like, look at people in trains? Do you look at people? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, I do. I know yeah. I do, but I just feel like he was doing it to kind of like keep it on them. But mm. sometimes you're just in your own head, and then our time you're totally like people watching. But I feel like that was just like, yeah. yeah. At first, I thought it was a, a scale thing because she's obviously so much smaller than everyone else, and it was like, oh no, this is just—it's another way to. Uh, put the audience in a similar uh, mindset where like she's a small thing in a very alien world but it's it's calm and it's for us as audience members uh, it's relatively familiar it's train it's it's a view it's not much happening but there's probably more to it and the, oh, they, get, they get off at different points as well there's that station that they get off and I, I you know at first I thought it might be I don't know transition to into the after what, uh, afterlife? Yeah, that's why. Um, there must yeah. be some kind of theory. It must be. Mm. Yeah. Change here for my neighbor Totoro, like something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> for another Sudo Ghibli film. Yeah. Mm. And it's also like a contrast from the people in the, the, the bathhouse. They're all like bright, colorful, massive, like big energy. Whereas on the train, they're like, dark like no color chilled out so it's like two very different worlds also kind of like maybe money working class as well so together or just very good train etiquette yes I must say, I'm, I'm really enjoying not being the token Brit this week. It's very nice to hear. There we go. This wretched hive of Scots and villainy. Yeah, we even split this week for a change, yeah. yeah. Mm. So, shall we play our next game? Let's play our next oh, game. Yes. I, feel, I, feel, I actually feel bad. I'm just sitting back and enjoying that conversation, guys. I, I feel, I, it was really nice to listen to everybody, so I feel bad about stopping it, but yeah. Should play our second game. So, over to Joseph for fun fact or fake news. Oh. This is fun fact or fake news. I will ask you three trivia questions about Spirited Away. This could be about the plot itself, characters, or it could be about the making of it. I'll give you three options to choose from, and you have to deduce which one is the true answer. The other two are ones I have made up. And at the end of it, whoever gets the most points gets a prize. Whatever that is, I don't know. Could just be a hit of dopamine. Who knows? So, are you all ready for your first question? 
Okay. Your first question is as follows. Spirited Away follows the 10-year-old Chihiro and her quest to save her parents from the spirits they have wronged. But what was the main catalyst that inspired Miyazaki to create this film? Was it A, he was concerned that younger generations were no longer afraid or wary of spirits and folklore? He was inspired by a colleague's daughter and wanted to write something for kids that age? Or C, his annoying neighbours inspired Chihiro's parents and he wanted subtle yet sweet revenge on their constant annoyances in his relaxing life. I'm going to move B. Yeah. We, so we do the one we think is, we think is uh, the truth. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to I think A sounds the most likely, but then Joseph, this is what you guys don't know, Joseph is really good at this game. He, 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 is, he is so good. Actually, was anyone else on the show last time when Joseph did this game? Tasha, you saw the show. I think I was, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, I wouldn't trust the words he says, but I think, yeah, I can't because I, I'm not sure. I think I'm just gonna go with the one I think it is, so I think I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with A. I'll go with A. Lula, you think A? Mm-hmm. A. Right. Just A. Greg? A. A. Well, I can reveal to you that Sasha gets the point. It was B. Oh. Miyazaki was inspired by uh, his colleague's 10-year-old sullen daughter while on a holiday retreat. Interesting. I've also got a little bit of questions. So Miyazaki said in an interview, every time I wrote or drew something concerning the character of Chihiro, I asked myself the question whether my friend's daughter or her friends would be capable of doing it. So that helped him write the story. Your second question is as follows. The kanji of the characters' names provide clues as to the character's purpose, identity, or destiny within the film, such as Kamaji, who provides hot water. His actual kanji name, as it's written out, means kettle, boiler pot, old man, as they, each kanji is uh, written separately. But what does the sorcerer Yubaba's name mean? Is it A? Hot Witch Crow, B, Hot Water Crone, or C, Big Nosed Hag? Oh, okay, read them again. Is it A, witch, no, Water Witch Crow, as in Crow the Bird? Is it B, Hot Water Crone, or C, Big Nosed Hag? I'm assuming this is hot as in temperature and not as in beachwear. <laughs> well, Greg, uh, it's whatever for <laughs> Well, in that case, A. <laughs> I think it's A or C. If I okay. get it, I'm gonna, I think it's A or C. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with C. I don't know why. I'm gonna go with C too. Well, Tallulah, you're saying B, I thought. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like it might be B. A couple it's between A or B for me, but I don't. Uh... Greg? A. A. Okay, I'll, oh, I'll go with. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go with B. B. Okay. So I will say everyone who didn't choose B is wrong. Sasha and Tallulah get the points. <laughs> B so I remember water, water. Hot okay. water crone. 
is mm -hmm. uh, pretty yeah. well translated. Um, so trivia, we kind of touched this uh, earlier with Tula, you saying uh, the name Chicho takes on. Sen means a thousand, which is the solo pronunciation of the Chi kanji, if it's not surrounded by other ones. But Chichiro's name actually means a thousand fathoms or a thousand searches, which reflects her journey in the film. Mm. Your final bit of trivia, and like Greg, this is to win the game. Um, Chichiro's parents erroneously gorge themselves on food, a trademark found in other Miyazaki films. But what did the voice actors do to achieve the sound of speaking with their mouths full? Was it A, placing cotton balls in their cheeks, B, pressing their tongue up against the roof of their mouth and clenching their jaw while speaking, or was it C, enjoying a finger-licking good piece of KFC chicken while recording the lines? <laughs> I'm going to go with C. I know it's like C. C. Greg says C, Michael says C, Greg says C, Sasha and Tallulah, what do you think? I, I feel like it, it should be C, like, why don't you just eat what, just do what you're, like, eat what you're doing, so, yeah, I'm going to go C. I think I'm, I think I'm going to go the same, not because I don't want to be original, but because <laughs> it makes the most sense, C. C, so you all say C. Oh, well, as an audio, uh, as listening back to audio, it is really annoying when you listen to people chewing or eating, but I must say that everyone got that one right. It was C. So we all win. You all win this game. For um, the little bit of trivia, while the original cast did enjoy KFC while recording these lines for um, the parents gorging on the food, the... Um, English dub cast would be a little bit more healthy and eat apples while doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Fun little voice acting tip for you all. If you are going to be going into a voiceover booth to do a session of voice acting, eat a green apple beforehand. It helps reduce clicks and pops while you're voice acting. So there you go. Thank you very much, everyone. And you all win the game. <laughs> Everyone's a winner. Why do we bother having other people do games, Craig? Jesus, Joseph. Well, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you very I much. I'm actually, because obviously, fun fact or fake news is the game that I burst on the, was it the first episode? The second was the episode? first episode, yes. It fit Mule and Rouge episode. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know whether I should go back to it or not. I, don't, I feel I'm going to pale comparison to you now, Joseph. For the, for, uh, I was thinking about doing it for Love Action and the Christmas special, but we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. I'll just press up with you, Craig. I think his resting poker face is a, is a lot more... Uh, Unfathomable. I'm a terrible liar, but I just get my, my face too expressive, I just give everything away. Um, <laughs> I think, I think maybe I should turn my camera I'm off. Too good. Turn my camera off and do it next time. We'll see if, see if that works. Right then. So, before we finish our discussion of Spirited Away, I just wanted to ask if anyone to bring up anything else they want to say about it before we, before we finish up at all, anything in particular you wanted to talk about with, with this film. One thing I wanted to actually discuss, what are our things on, our, our, our notes on No Face? What, what do we think No Face actually symbolises in the film? We've kind of, we've kind of touched upon it, but just, in, just so we know. What, what, is, what is No Face put to people? Maybe it's different, who knows? I think No Face is probably one of the most closest to being a human in some aspects. Well, I don't mm. know, like, he, he kind of, he just, 
he's lonely. He says it in the film, he's lonely, he just wants a pal. But I don't know how it works because he, Chihiro sees him and I feel like he sees her at the beginning, like before it gets dark. So I don't know how that really works. I'm still not sure about that. But um, no, I definitely think he just kind of, he just wants to do things to make people like him. And I feel like, you know, some people meet people and then take other people's traits and just agree with each other and like do stuff like that to just have a friend. I feel like he does that, but does it, he takes it a bit too far. And I feel like he takes all the negative aspects of the bathhouse when he's in there. So then when he leaves, he's a better person. Like when he's with Zaniba, see when he's just eating his wee cake? He's so cute. He's just like, I'm just going to eat my cake. I've been through some shit. I just need some time. <laughs> and, you know, yep. <laughs> in the bathhouse, he's just like, I just ate three people. What the hell? I'm so sorry. I'm not usually like that. <laughs> so... I feel like I feel like everyone goes through those kind of well, not eating face phases. I don't know what you guys do, but yes, yeah, so yeah, I, I love Nofix. Them. He's my favorite character. I think he's fantastic, and there's so much. Every time I watch it, there's more about him that I love. I think yeah, I agree with Sasha. We've all been through that phase where we just get a friend group and just end up consuming them one by one. Always, uh, usually in a bathhouse. <laughs> no, I. I, I I'm st- I still can't decide about him, but I I think he's his design is based on like a silkworm, um, based, just basically his physical design because they their patterns have like a little face, but then their mouth underneath, and I think silkworms have some sort of um, motif or meaning in uh, Japanese films. I can't quite remember. Somebody can tell me in uh, through Twitter or please do some sort of Bebo or or like carrier pigeon. Um, if you wish, that shows my age. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think from what I'm getting, I think he's he was really just like a catalyst for that, picking up all those negative traits for Chihiro to recognise that and try and make that better. I think they were both I, characters I, they could learn from each other. Mm-hmm. I, I agree with what you said. I think I, think I agree with, with what you both said. My whole thing was also, I feel like he was a mirror well, he it, it it was was a was a mirror to, to the other character. So he he because like when he consumed the, the like was it the frog character that like he took on his voice. So he yeah. so essentially, I, th- I think I think I think he's mirroring that person and that, the other person's traits. So when he eventually because in the beginning, I think when he's with Chihiro, he's mirroring her a little bit, mm-hmm. the scared lonely child almost. And then at the end, when she takes him takes takes her no face under her wing. Again, he's mirroring that kindness, mm-hmm. and, he, and he gradually comes comes back to himself. And then, obviously, as you said, said ends up eating cake and going sorry for that. Everybody. But you know, so so yeah, I, th- I think it's like a mirror for whoever he's consumed or whoever he's near. I think I think that's what I kind of got from it. Essentially, mm-hmm. but I think it's I think it's an interpretation thing for sure. Yeah. Okay. Where did he learn? Oh, go on. No, you go for it. No, no, my mind's a tiny point. <laughs> <laughs> Just uh, yeah, minus two snap. But it oh, was um, uh, I think he was looking for her all along, or he was looking for someone to make him better. Like he's not an evil character as you think he is, maybe at the beginning. But he's mm-hmm. he's looking for a way out. I feel like he's looking to be good, like to repent. That because that's what I got from their relationship together. That yeah. he sort of he respects her, and like when he offers the gold, and she's like. Mm-mm. 
I think he's inside. He's like, yes. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, mm-hmm. finally, I've got, I found, I found, I found one. I found a good one. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like to, be, to, to teach me as well yeah. and to guide me. But yeah. you always wonder what he did before because people in the bathhouse are like, oh, it's a no face. And you're yeah. like, okay, well, so what are no faces like? What do they usually do? What are they known for? So yeah. that was quite interesting as well. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I'm like, because he oh. seems pretty decent when he's not there. So maybe you guys are the problem. <laughs> so, weird. Right, I'll just, just solve my own question. I was like, where did he learn to spin thread and then just silkworms? There we go. <laughs> like it's, it was right there. Yeah. Good, job. Good job, Greg. <laughs> right then, let's finish our discussion of Spirited Away with our brand new segment to finish off the film discussion. It's, it's debuting on this episode. So it is called Buy Rent or refund. So I'm going to ask everyone in turn, very quickly of course, because we are running out of time for this part, so I'm going to ask everyone, buy a rent or refund for Spirited Away. So buy means that you love this film, you're going to add it to your collection and you're going to recommend it to everyone in our gran to go and see it. Uh, rent means that you enjoyed the film, not in any hurry to rewatch, but you might recommend it to those who you think might enjoy it. And refund, self-explanatory, if you have no interest in watching it again, and you're not recommending it to anybody else, not to you. So, I'm going to say rent. Now, you, you've almost convinced me, by the way, everyone. You've almost convinced me. I actually, on talking to you, I think I did enjoy it, to be honest with you. I think I, I, think I actually did quite like the film, but I think it's a rent for me. I think, I think it's, I'm not in any hurry to rewatch it, but I, if I know of anyone who I think would enjoy it, definitely I'm going to recommend it. Because I think it's a really good film. It's got some really good themes in it. So, very quickly, quick fire round. Let's go round. Uh, let's start with our guest, Tallulah. Bye, rent or bye. refund. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye, bye. <laughs> Uh, Mike? Um, top rent. Fair enough, fair enough, fair enough. Sasha? 100% buy. Okay. Greg? Uh, ooh, uh, I have, uh, rent. Can't recommend it to everyone. Fair enough, fair enough. And last but not least, our patriot, our opinion of the film, Joseph. It's got to be a buy from me. Lovely. Okay. So, well, outvoted out there, I think so. Buy is the winner there. So let us know, let us know in the comments, let us know on Facebook, if we're at 100 Film Views, would you buy, rent, or refund Spirited Away? Let us know, please. That's it for part two. Join us for part three when we talk to Tallulah and Mike all about I'm your fairy fucking godmother. See you soon. Well, maybe you're not ready after all. What? I don't know, Pascal. I'm starting to think you're doubting yourself. Wait. I'm not. I just sometimes wish I was normal. You want to go over there and play like a little kiddie, hmm? Or do you want to focus on your career? My career. Well then stop dicking around with, oh, I just want to be normal. And convince me why you were the right kind of client for me to invest in. Right now? Sure. Or I've got a two o'clock free in the office if you want to pop in and waste more of my time. We're talking to Tallulah and Mike all about I, your same fucking godmother. So, tell us. Tell us what the film is all about. We just we actually just saw the clip, so the clip was absolutely brilliant, by the way, guys. We really, really enjoyed it. Uh, so tell us where the idea came from and what it's all about. Then that's on you, Tallulah. <laughs> you start asking, you start Maybe I should, because I, I kind of wrote it. So I'll, yeah. Well, it was, um, where did it come from? I always sort of write, when I write stuff, I, which is, is actually a subconscious thing. I realised it's a trope 
Um, and it's a kind of a what if scenario, which I find really interesting. Um, uh, um, and I just thought like, what if you could, the first draft was completely different, obviously they usually are, but the first draft was this woman who creates this pill that kids can take and it will, it, it will make their dream career come true. And we kind of like continued that theme, but in a completely different way, which is great. Um, and so there's this whole, it's this question of, would you be happy if you had your dream career? Um, would that get rid of your ambition? It kind of thinks, talks about ambition as well and coming of age as well and fitting in and where you're, and, and where, where you belong and if you actually have control over that. So it's, that's sort of the main themes of it going on, the theme mm -hmm. idea. Mm -hmm. And Mike, how, uh, how did you jump on board with the project? Uh, I messaged Tallulah and said, um, have you written any short films? She said she had. Well, let's make it. And that was it pretty much. Yeah, it's more, like, it's more like how I got it involved in it because it was Mike who was just like, I don't know, he just randomly texted me like, hey, we've written a thing. I was like, well, yeah. you were like, bring it to me, bring it. And yeah, so it's, it, it was it was kind of credit, well, obviously all credit to you because um, it got made within four weeks of like at us meeting being like, let's make something and it actually being out like, it ridiculously quick turnaround. Yeah, the turnaround was insane. Uh, but I think, like, to give it more context, and I mean, I everything I've done until now has been in theatre. Um, and I think Tallulah also has done a lot of work in theatre, primarily. And because of the current uh, situation, that's kind of been put on hold. And for me, I, I've always, I mean, I, I love movies. I mean, I, we all do, don't we? Um, but I've always didn't know the craft that was involved in making a film as well as I knew uh, how to make a show. And I thought it'd be really interesting and exciting to maybe, instead of maybe live streaming a show, to actually work on film as a medium. Because I think for us, what's most important is just telling stories. The way we do it um, can change and it can be a merge of different forms as well. But I mean, we thought, why not try film? And that's it, really. That's how it, that's, yeah. So, yeah, I also loved the idea. The story, that story, because Tallulah had three short um, films that she wrote, actually. And that, I really liked that one because I think I was at a point where, you know, because you, when, you, when you have the safety net of uh, university, you can really experiment and you can play with ideas and you don't have, you don't have a pressure to say you need to get paid from your work you can just be as creative as you want without the pressure then when you graduate it's like ah uh, i really want to do these things but i also need to pay bills and it's kind of like this juggling act that you have to say how much do i really believe in this um am i like is it a pipe dream or am i actually good at it it's the self-doubt that you have and all these things so i found this script what i found really interesting about it is if you had someone that was ambition personified and they didn't care about any of your doubts you were going to go get that thing and there was no other thing you were going to do other than that wouldn't it be great to have someone like that in your life that would just tell you this is it there's no other way and then what are the problems with having that person in your life as well like there has to be a drawback to that and i think that's why the film really um that's why a script was something I really wanted to work on. Yeah. Mm. 
So what, what can you both tell us about the characters in the film and the sort of premise of the film itself? Um, well, yeah, I think I explained the wrong thing before, but yeah, that was, it's, it's sort of along the lines of, uh, so a boy is offered a contract and if he signs it, he is guaranteed the career that he wants right there and then. That's sort of the log line. I'm also wary about, because I would love everyone seeing this to watch it, because it's very short and it's very fun and it's very interesting um, and uh, uh, has some great actors in it. Um, and so I don't want to give too much away with like the second part, but you do you do see what mm. happens um, and see how what issues those um, that have arisen since signing the contract. All right. Okay. So what was it like for the for both of you, seeing as you were both in a theatre background, what was it like to actually dive into the world of filmmaking? Was there any challenges in particular you kind of came across as you were making it? Oh, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Tallulah also produced as well. So I think, do you want to go with, do you want to explain like the, who, who should go with? <laughs> I think, Anya on the call. So we have a great producer, um, yeah, Anya. Yeah. And she um, she was the glue that held this whole thing together. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm laughing just because I think it went very well, uh, considering this was our first filmic thing that we've ever done. And we had a great crew as well. There was great like gaffers and cinematographer. And it was just a really, it was much easier than I thought it was gonna be, not without its hurdles, but much smoother because I think delegation, I learned delegate how key delegation is. And like, I'm quite used to theatre wise, like if you write it, you also, I like I've directed it, like you're kind of helping out, you're doing like a lot of things because it's it's quite collaborative. But this, it was like, I remember when our um, cinematographer, Kean went, um, so the script was written, first scene, everything. And then suddenly like I had the opening scene, which it's not in this one, um, it's like sushi on my, on my lap. And they set up this whole rig to like, look at the sushi and I was like, uh, that's not in the script. But then actually I realised, wait, that's so good. It's so good because that's not my job anymore. So that mm -hmm. was nice to, nice, that was an interesting thing to learn, I think. Yeah, for sure. That, that, that is something you, you all kind of learn as you, as you as you start your journey in the filmmaking world. Yeah, it's, it's about trusting everyone to have worked hard to make sure that they are good at their job and they have done their work, their homework beforehand. And it's about just seceding that control, as you, as you were saying, to sort of like, oh, actually, that's a really good idea. Yeah, you know what you're doing here. I trust you to just make this look as good as possible. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I think in terms of community, because, um, I, I mean, the fears of community is everyone has a passion and they work together and we all chip in in some way to get the thing done. And film is no different. In fact, I find maybe even more in some aspects, because we just put a, a, a call out saying we need a cinematographer, um, we need a sound recordist, and loads of people said they wanted a, because obviously our budget was very limited. And they said they want to be involved and help out and they threw advice and guidance. And when we were working with the people, they, they were very accommodating to the fact that we'd never been on a set before really, that we were in control of. And the way that everything was collaborative made that, it made it such a smooth process. Like, for instance, Kian, um, to mention Kian, um, like he, we would say to him, this is what we imagined. And then Kian would be like, okay, well, this is how we can make it happen, kind of thing. And it was, yeah, it was great in that aspect. Yeah. Also, great actors. 
as well. I think that also helps when you're working with great actors. It's just a far more smooth process. <laughs> but yeah, we, we did it talking about theatre. Like we rehearsed it like it wasn't sort of a short film. Like um, we had a great actor involved who was like, I have never done. He's been in like loads of TV. He was like, I have never done like this kind of amount of rehearsal for like a short film I mean it wasn't a lot we just did like a day but it was quite concentrated and I think because of that you go on set and you can relax and you can just do your job without having and Mike especially like director wise without having to think about like what the heck the actors are doing and if that beats in the right place and stuff because it just it just takes a lot of time and like you've done that before I don't know why people don't do it like it's I think it's something which you know people don't agree with me on this but I think it's coming from a, a you know a classical acting background I think it's completely necessary for good performance and for it to look good because then you can do all the other crap and not have to worry about the bloody actors so I think that's something that I would if I was going to do this again which we will um take on and just ignore people who are like you don't need to do that like it's only a short film like it's I think it's very important yeah. actually personally personally yeah is that something that you feel like you've brought from your theatre background to this process the rehearsal process and also is, is there anything else actually in terms of that like the give you mm. a unique perspective on this film do you think big 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 i think the, the amount of stuff that translated over is um i think in terms of in terms of us rehearsing just to because that one's easier um with i mean because both actors were trained um, which already kind of that because when you when you're trained you've gone through all these processes and ways of acting that we kind of it's easy to speak the same language but my, my background came more from um, experimental theater which is far more collaborative than teaching or um, directing as opposed to saying this is how things have to be done it's more you work together to kind of come up with an idea and that process is very theatrical. There's not, I've not, I don't think there is as much um, collaboration in film. I probably am wrong, but the way that the vision of a scene is decided with the actors, as opposed to this is the vision and we all need to work to achieve it. Um, deciding what the vision is in rehearsal means that everyone has a creative control over the final thing. And in a lot of theatre, especially in contemporary work, they work together to build scenes around the actors' personalities and their personas, as opposed to changing yourself to become the character. And there becomes like this interesting relationship between persona, who you are, who the character is, and you're somewhere in the middle of that, especially if the values and themes that we're exploring connect to you, which for this one, it did connect to both actors. Um, then I think that's one way the theatre came in is finding a more collaborative process, deciding what the vision is. And then in terms of filming, um, playing the whole scene, I mean, playing the whole scene through is a technique a lot of filmmakers, I think, use. But with our, our one, it's like you play the scene through, but instead of saying for this line, could you change this? For that line, could you change that? It was more like playing with motivation why are you doing this what are you why do you get up at this point why do you do this and it's more does this fit with the character's intentions as opposed to how can i make this look good for the camera um which i think is another thing about theater is like 
I think, sorry, I'm, I'm rambling on. The final thing, I promise, this is the last one, is I think one big thing um, that someone taught me in my, like, towards the end of my education was, like, the whole point of directing is focus. So when the audience is sat in a sh- and watching a show, they need to know where to look all the time. And you need to kind of compose the scene in such a way so that their focus is always directed at some point. So be it stage right, they're looking there at this point, then you need to distract them. So they look there at this point and then bringing that concept into film, which makes it a little easier for you because you, you know what to look at all the time because the shots tell you what the focus is. Um, trying to bring that into performance and put down and framing it in such a way as if it would be like a stage with like really flat on takes and stuff like that i think yeah there's there was loads of way that theater came into, into mm. yeah definitely definitely i yeah i especially what you said about the theater thing i think i think it's very much always these things depend on the, on the director themselves whether they whether they want to bring in the actors in on the process and that, that's something I'm, I'm an actor as well so, so Sasha as well I, th- I think you know that's something that you always look for in a director or someone who actually is going to take on board your ideas and collaborate with you on the character and what your opinion is on the character and what your opinion is on the scene as well while things might not be feasible depending on like logistically camera stuff you still want to be involved in that process so that's something that definitely keep going with that for sure on, on your next project so where can people see the film are you, are you putting it into festivals are you gonna is it already up online where, where can the people actually see the whole film yeah uh, yeah it can go on on youtube it's on youtube it's on our facebooks because uh, it was a collaboration between two theater companies and on mm. both pages you can you can see the film um pretty much and yeah they're they're called, and they're called oh yeah v- <laughs> 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 the play on theater company and veto productions which i'm sure you guys have you can like link them or something to make it easy yes. and then yeah they're they're there to look, take, pick one <laughs> and then go look, go look at the film yeah it's, we were going to the, the, this was quite a lot for we uh i don't want to say it's because it, it it kind of takes away a lot what into it but it's sort of like a test really just to see if we could do it and see how because this was our we like i remember you mike saying like we're going to learn so much from this and we're going to make loads of mistakes and then we're going to do another one that's going to be even better. And I was like, okay, that's cool. But actually it turned out to be really good. <laughs> so, so we didn't really think of that much venturing into festivals. Um, we thought we'd sort of save that or, and because we also just wanted to make something that people can just watch. Like I've just seen so many things which just like, well, actually you have to go onto this to do this and then pay for this and this subscription. Then you can watch it. Or like here's a teaser trailer and we just kind of just did it yeah. which there's no problem in doing that because it has to be that way around but for this specific piece we kind of bypassed that a little bit and just went straight to okay you can watch this and then also that drums up kind of publicity for us and stuff and also i think a lot of i don't know that much about this but um a lot of festivals are a bit difficult with if you release it before they can be the first people to release it like a debut releasing something like that yeah. so we sort of we we on purpose didn't do that but also we'll definitely try and do because i think it's very good <laughs> and also especially for, like for the next one as well yeah speaking speaking of the next one what, what is what is the next project what are you going to do next together mike um this, okay it's a, it's a tricky one to it's about a guy you can't get hard on um in the 1980s 
I don't know why 1980s is important. I just love the 1980s. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> so no, yeah, so I don't know. I always find it interesting because this, this came because I couldn't sleep. I was having a problem sleeping one night. My sleep schedule is very bad. And I was like, I, I was trying to write something else. And then I was failing at that. So I thought, what's a fun idea? Oh, you can't, you know, someone can't get hard on. We've all been there. It's all happening. It's happened. And then when it does happen, we all get very like, ah, why is the world against me kind of thing? And I was like, I want to look at. Yeah, I was like, I want to look, <laughs> I want to look at that. I want to look at that and see how it can kind of like. And then play with it, make it a little bit abstract. So basically, the, the guy's a drug dealer, can't get hard on, and he becomes convinced that his girlfriend, his best friend, and his boss are all trying to kill him. And it's like follows him in his apartment with these characters, and how he becomes, he starts like picking apart things they say, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, that doesn't add up, this doesn't add up. And like, why are you coming and visiting me at this point? That type of thing. And can't go into too much details, but it's, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what the idea is. It's never sure. Softish. Softish. That's its name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't come up with that. So my friend of mine came up with that. It was pretty good. It's funny because I actually didn't realize like the kind of connotations of that till like actually like 10 seconds ago. <laughs> it's really good. <laughs> it's really clever. <laughs> Great, yeah, but yeah, uh, definitely. That, that's great. That's great. Looking forward to seeing that one. And we'll we'll, uh, we'll put a link into uh, I'm a fifty fucking godmother for sure on our page as well, so everyone can check it out and see it too. So get very the clip is great. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm going to go and watch it after this and have a look. So as always, we thank you. We thank you for coming on the show, Tola and Mike. Thanks so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's really fun. Thank you. And thanks, of course, to Sasha, Joseph, and Greg as well. And always, we finish with a life lesson, life lessons in this case, that we can take from the film of the week, which is Spirit of the Way. So here we go. Number one, sometimes life tends to clog up with rubbish, but a warm bath can wash all those bad feelings away. Number two, your dad doesn't know everything. Maybe don't fall into <laughs> a dark tunnel into the unknown. And number three, there's no such thing as a free buffet. See you next time. <laughs> <laughs>